Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 49. Under a payables finance program, the buyer is able to implement such a program which can augment their supplier's working capital. In this way, there's a a confirmation that they're actually uh, able to get paid in 5, 10, 15 days. They don't have to wait 60 or 90 days to get paid. We believe that such practices absolutely do not represent how payable finance programs are used by the majority of buyers and sellers in mutually supportive supply chains. I'm Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Now, optimizing the cash conversion cycle is the corporate treasurer's secret sauce. The crucial formula balances and measures out how the cash in a company is converted through inventory and accounts payable, sales and account receivable, and then back into cash. Why is this important? Well, cash is king and so is liquidity, both for buyers and sellers. The buyer-led program, Payables Finance, is aimed to benefit both buyers and sellers, optimizing working capital and the cash conversion cycle, whilst at the same time providing sellers with alternative, potentially cheaper sources of capital, whilst allowing suppliers to get paid earlier. The supply chain finance technique of Payables Finance is regarded by the industry as a useful and beneficial tool for both buyers and suppliers. Yet recently, it's come under significant scrutiny by the press, financial ombudsmen, and various regulators around the world. Add to this the financial distress wrought by the COVID-19 pandemic, with SMEs tending to be the first to feel the effects of the financial crises. So today we'll be discussing this in much more detail. I'm delighted to be joined by three exceptional guests who are ensuring payables finance remains a force for good. We have Peter Mulroy, Secretary General of the FCI, Stacey Factor, SVP of Trade Products at BAFT, and Christian Haushair, Chairman of the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum, GSCFF, and Product Manager for Trade and Supply Chain Finance, EMEA, at Deutsche Bank. All, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. So to start off with, let's have a very quick introduction. In no more than 30 seconds or less, who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? Peter, over to you. Hi there, Deepish. Thank you. I am Peter Mulroy, Secretary General of FCI. I am from the United States. My background is in corporate banking, trade finance, and factoring receivables finance. Um, I basically came over to the Netherlands in 2013 to uh, oversee FCI, which is the Global Association of Factoring and Receivables Finance Companies around the world. We're based in 94 countries with uh, nearly 400 members. Thanks, Peter. Stacy, over to you. Hi, this is Stacy Factor from BAFT. I'm the SVP for Trade Products, transaction banking organization covering cash and trade. My background is in commercial banking and trade finance, and I've been at BAF now for seven years, covering all the issues 
that are challenging and important to the trade finance industry globally. Thanks very much, Stacey. And Christian, over to you. My name is Christian Hausherr. I'm German. And uh, since 2009, I work as a product manager in trade finance for Deutsche Bank out of the Frankfurt head office. And since 2018, I also act as the chairman of the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum. Thank you very much. And what a truly global group from the US, the UK, Germany, and the Netherlands. So Christian, as chairman of the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum, can you briefly explain what it is and the key aims of the GSCFF? Yes, happy to do so. So the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum was established in 2014 to develop a set of commonly agreed standard market definitions for supply chain finance. Bear in mind that in 2014, supply chain finance was already in full swing. The whole industry had realized this is more than just a product. In fact, it was understood it is a larger concept that deserves more attention. However, it was not always clear what exactly supply chain finance is. There were multiple interpretations of the business, and depending on the region you were located in or the industry or even the size of the client or the provider you spoke with, there was a potentially different understanding of what supply chain finance actually is. So the overall goal of the project at that time was to provide a conceptual framework that would identify and name the key aspects of a supply chain finance transaction. For example, its protagonists, the legal relationships, the distinctive features of a transaction as it benefits, risks, and how to mitigate these risks. This conceptual framework was then released in 2016. As of today, the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum is comprised of four trade bodies. Bankers Association for Finance and Trade, Factors Chain International, the International Chamber of Commerce, the International Trade and Forfeiting Association, and last but not least, the Euro Banking Association. The forum is open to financial institutions, non-FI finance providers, accounting firms, investors, rating agencies, regulators, and anyone else who has a stake in supply chain finance. What do we do? We monitor and react to major market developments and all relevant matters for supply chain finance. And the main objective of the Global Supply chain finance forum is to support the sustainable growth of supply chain finance by establishing consistency and a standardized understanding of supply chain finance across the industry. In order to achieve this, we advocate for acknowledgement of the definitions and their benefits by its target audience that particularly includes but is not limited to the regulatory side. Thank you very much, Christian. And I guess the growth of supply chain finance over the years has really meant that the need for a forum such as GSCFF is really necessary. Stacey, let's start with some definitions, which I think the forum makes a really good point around clarifying to the entire industry. What is the definition of the bio-led term payables finance? And we still get people confused about the difference between supply chain finance and payables finance. Can you clarify this for us? First, I'll cover the difference uh, between supply chain finance and payables finance. As Christian said, supply chain finance is the overarching term for buyers and suppliers connecting with each other and buying and selling with each other on different terms. The payables finance is actually one of eight techniques that the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum identified back in 2016. From our perspective, payables finance is actually one of the largest and the 
fastest growing of those techniques. It is essentially, and if you look in our paper, you'll see it says a buyer-led program within which sellers in the buyer supply chain are able to access finance by means of receivable purchase. What does that really mean? It means that a, a buyer and a supplier enter into a commercial arrangement. A buyer is buying supply goods from multiple suppliers around the globe. And in order to facilitate the supply chain and to keep their access to supply very strong, they enter into these relationships and these arrangements. What does it really mean? A corporate, a buyer will speak with its bank or its financial intermediary, who will then become paying agent simply paying for invoices at their maturity date. What happens in the program is that the buyer provides an unconditional commitment to pay to the financial institution at a date certain, at a time certain. So let's say they commit to pay in 60 days. No matter what, that invoice will be paid in 60 days. On the other side, the bank or financial intermediary will have a separate arrangement with that buyer suppliers and offer them the opportunity to discount those receivables. In other words, not to wait 60 days to get paid, but to get paid on or before the 60 days. So the seller can opt in or opt out of the program. They can decide to discount an invoice in five days or in 10. They can decide to discount multiple invoices on or before, as I said, the due date, but it is highly beneficial to both sides. Thanks very much, Stacey. So very important, one of the most important subsets of supply chain finance. Peter, broadly speaking then, can you go into a little bit more detail on what the benefits of payables finance are, both to buyers and sellers of payables finance programs through, through receivables purchase? Well, under a payables finance program, the buyer is able to implement such a program which can augment their supplier's working capital. This helps strengthen their relationship with the supplier by providing capital against their supplier's receivables. The importer also improves their cash conversion cycle, as you mentioned earlier, by slightly increasing their payables days cycle, enhancing their cash flow, which helps the buyer, but also creates a payment undertaking a commitment by the buyer to pay at a date certain in the future. You also have the ability of leveraging the balance sheet of the buyer. Typically, these buyers, as mentioned, are strong investment-rated companies. And by utilizing the commitment by the buyer to pay at the due date, this allows the intermediary to provide financing to the supplier against funds or with funds at very low interest rates. You have an intermediary, a financial institution that also helps the buyer and assures the health of the overall supply chain and their commitment to pay at the due date allows for prompt access of funds against these assignments of receivables by the supplier. The other benefit is also a liquidity diversification. We're in hard times and many companies want to ensure that they find new sources of capital. I would identify as well companies in emerging countries. This practice has become a lifesaver for many SMEs there. Why? Well, in many of these markets, they are accustomed to obtaining funding against hard assets, real estate, equipment, personal assets, the concept of funding and financing against receivables is quite new. So supply chain finance, payable finance in general, allows these SMEs to obtain financing just on the receivables on their balance sheet. In many emerging countries, this is a new phenomenon, which has allowed these companies to obtain financing at a discount, much lower in comparison to their local interest rates. 
it seems like a bit of a, a win-win to both the buyer and seller. But let's talk about some of the concerns raised in your recent Q&A report. So there have been a few instances of, of SMEs being bullied into joining supply chain finance programs by being perhaps forced into joining the programs and potentially accepting longer terms. Peter, is this actually happening in your experience? The practice of large corporate buyers forcing their suppliers to accept much longer terms has occurred. This has been showcased in some of the headline news by the media in such cases like Abengoa, Carillion, and other companies that uh, we've seen as a result of um, bankruptcies. But these are exceptions. And truthfully, the media has exacerbated this story and really has hidden the valuable impact Payables Finance plays around the world. So in a sense, we feel like this is a little bit of sensationalism and it doesn't take into account all of the good that supply chain finance and payable finance has achieved. The abuse of these programs and the abuse of market power that sometimes leads to this dynamic. So it does occur, but it is truly the exception. I would say the vast majority of transactions that are taking place conducted by regulated financial institutions around the world are doing this in a very safe, sound way that's benefiting both the importer, seller, and the domestic buyer or seller. There is this issue in various governments that they've created regulations enforcing minimum terms due to the fear that this abuse is occurring and that these suppliers need some type of protection. Our group believes that you know there should be freedom of contract, that the seller and buyer should have the freedom to decide what those terms should be. But at the same time, we recognize the importance of ensuring that both the buyer and seller work under a fair system and work under a means by which terms are done, not exaggerated way. We recognize it's happened. We believe it's it's very minimal. And we believe at the end of the day, supply chain finance, payable finance itself has been an incredible means by which to expand working capital financing to companies which either aren't able to get it, SMEs, or companies that are able to get it, but at a much lower cost of funds in comparison to what they get traditionally. I think we discussed this last year with Michael Bickers at his BCR uh, Asia conference and whether payables really is a win-win-win for funders, buyers, and sellers. Some would argue that it just benefits the buyer who can generate a working capital benefit for themselves. Stacy, what are your thoughts on this and are there genuine seller benefits? Thanks for the question. I think Peter went through many of them at a very high level, but the bottom line is that the seller can get paid almost immediately. They used to have to sit around and wait 30 or 60, 90 days to get paid. And even then, their buyers were stretching the repayment. Because they were smaller than the big buyers, they were sort of forced into waiting. In this way, there's a a confirmation that they're actually uh, able to get paid in 5, 10, 15 days. They don't have to wait 60 or 90 days to get paid. Also, remember, as Peter said, they are going to get a discount rate from the financial institution that is better than the one that they could get from their local banks. Why is that? That is because we're leveraging the credit of the strong buyer. So it's a combination of the rating of the strong buyer as well as the supplier. And it is a very beneficial rate that it's going to be received by that supplier. As Peter also said, it just gives them added liquidity. They're not borrowing from their local bank. They're actually tapping into additional liquidity and additional funds globally and they're not having to post their physical assets. The only thing they're really posting is, or selling, I guess you could say, is their invoices, their receivables. 
Thanks, Stacey. Just in recent months, we've seen the SEC asking some of the largest corporates for more information on their payables programs. The, the Australian Ombudsman has also accused large corporates of pressuring suppliers to join SCF programs and also manipulating data or using AI even to optimize buyer balance sheets. Christian, what are your thoughts on this misuse? This is actually three questions in one. So let me address your points one by one. Firstly, the SEC's interest in large corporate payable finance program is likely an outcome of the recent discussions on the alleged intransparency of balance sheets. The issue of intransparency has been acknowledged by the industry and is currently on top of the agenda of the accounting standards bodies. Given the recent discussion at the FASB, we expect more guidance on this matter by latest at the end of this year. This progress should hopefully also satisfy not only the SEC, but also other relevant stakeholders like investors and rating agencies. Now, let's talk about the perception of sellers being pressurized into supply chain finance programs. And, and Peter already addressed that point. The misuse of payable finance and reports of suppliers being forced into accepting unfavorable terms are surely extremely worrying. Yet, we believe it is a misconception to assume this is a general market trend. We believe that such practices absolutely do not represent of how payable finance programs are used by the majority of buyers and sellers in mutually supportive supply chains. Last but not least, manipulation of balance sheets. I am not an accountant, I'm a banker, but I would not say that corporates generally try to disguise or manipulate their balance sheets when implementing a payable finance program. The matter of the fact is that current accounting standards leave room for interpretation when it comes to the reflection of a payable finance program in a corporate balance sheet. This deficiency has been understood and it's taken up by the industry. And following the recent discussion at the FASB, we expect the situation to significantly improve over the next years. Thank you, Christian. So, Stacey, let's talk about payment terms and go into a bit more detail there because there have been reports of sellers increasing payment terms to 180 days and encouraging them to accept or, or go on to a, a supply chain finance program. Have you noticed this increase recently? What are the forum's thoughts on such practices, which we've seen some authorities, as Peter mentioned earlier, consider curtailing this in the future? It's an interesting question. I actually don't see it quite on the same lens as some of the recent media has suggested. From my perspective, the idea is that the suppliers and the buyers enter into contracts. It's possible that a standard term has changed. They're looking at benchmarking for specific products. If you're selling a capacitor, how much, you know, what is the repayment term? If you're selling something more sophisticated or less sophisticated, what is the actual term? So the industry does a lot of benchmarking. It could end up actually that they do um, request additional time for payment. But at the same time, remember, if they stretch it out to 60 or 90 days, seller can still get paid at the same date, at the same time. Now, that's one thing. And the other thing is, it also could go in the opposite direction. It could be that it's an increase. But on the other hand, that increase or decrease will not be felt the same way by the seller if they are having the ability to discount their invoice with their bank or financial provider. 
Great, thank you. And I think just to go into a little bit more on that, because I know, Stacey, you've had a lot of meetings involving FASB and, and IFRS. So in terms of the accounting implications of payables programs, we've seen many rating agencies pushing to reform the somewhat opaque financial disclosures of some companies. Stacey, what do you think about this from a GSCFF perspective? And then Christian, I'll ask you next, do you think that the payables programs could represent a, a risk to liquidity? There's two aspects to the accounting treatment. One is the how you treat the asset on the balance sheet of the corporate or the buyer. And the other is what kind of disclosure requirements are required. I think that the industry has made it clear to both the FASB and the IFRS that it's been very well regulating itself over the last 15 to 20 years of these programs. So they really do know the difference between a trade payable and a a loan. And there are very specific identification items that will allow you to keep that on your balance sheet as a trade payable and not have to call it a loan. You're just simply providing as a financial intermediary, you're making a payment on behalf of a, a buyer. So I think from that perspective, the FASB and the IFRS have thought that the industry is self-regulating very well. BAFT has written a paper together with its Global Trade Industry Council on what are the principles that you would suggest are the best to provide this framework. There is no reason to believe that is the only structure, that is the only technique i.e. payables finance. But if you follow those guidelines, then you will be able to call it a trade payable on your balance sheet. The question of disclosure, I think everyone in the industry is very, very supportive of more disclosure and transparency on the financial statements of the buyers. But the real challenge, the real question is, how do you do that? How do you depict that? It's not a simple answer without worrying about competitive issues, without the knowledge necessarily of the buyer as to whether those receivables invoices were actually discounted by the financial institution. So I think they're grappling and they continue to grapple with what does disclosure look like? And I think that's really where the SEC has spent a fair amount of time over the last year asking questions to the large global buyers. And Christian, over to you. So regarding your question with regards to liquidity, let's maybe go a step back and look at how a payable finance program is set up. So usually payable finance programs are provided, let's say, by banks. Before any such kind of program is set up, there will be a credit analysis of the respective buyer. There are people who are able to read balance sheets, corporate balance sheets, and they will take a decision on the uh, credit facility a buyer is good for. This credit decision will not differ at all from a credit decision as compared to a standard loan, right? So what will be taken into account is the purchasing volume, the uh, the payment terms the buyer intends to negotiate with its sellers, and all those details will then ultimately result in a credit facility, and that actually supports the liquidity of a corporate. So there is actually less risk as compared to a non-pay rich finance situation. Keep also in mind the mutual aspects of the supply chain finance program. It does not only support the liquidity of the buyer, 
It also supports the liquidity of the seller. So a well-set-up payable finance program is actually reflecting one-to-one the production cycle of a corporate. Coming back to the aspect we discussed earlier, regulatory limitations when it comes to payment terms. This is also something where you can see it does not make sense to simply say, okay, I limit all payment terms to 30 or 60 days. There is no one-size-fits-all. Payable finance programs, in fact, enable a corporate to exactly tailor their payment terms together with their sellers to their production cycle. And in the end of the day, everyone will benefit from that. Thanks very much, Christian. I guess it's a bit of a tricky balance in this case, really. Peter, at what point does a payables finance program become more risky than rewarding to the somewhat smaller seller? or the buyer? Well, there is risk everywhere. So just look at three risks. Of course, the what Christian just talked about, which is the traditional credit risk of the debtor-buyer fraud, so buyer-seller fraud, collusion, and dilution. So from the credit risk perspective, this is well managed, as Christian mentioned, by the financial institution. And really, if you look at the last 20, 30 years, you have very few examples, especially major examples of large bankruptcies or liquidations that was due to decision taken by an FI from a credit risk perspective. There are other examples and more relating to fraud. And that's what we've seen. Issues relating to financial reporting. So, and we saw this in the case of Abengoa and Carillion, where these programs were not reported and hence the uh, funding of these programs w- represented a very large percentage of their overall debt. It was hidden. And this is one of the arguments, of course, that the rating agencies and others have made about the adverse effect of not having transparency. The other is just is collusion, of course. So when the buyer and seller collude against the financial institution, and we really haven't seen that as well. There was a case in Mexico years ago that involved a large, very large, actually it was a government subsidiary company in Mexico and, and a supplier, one supplier supplier, one buyer, and it wasn't technically supply chain finance or payables finance, but it was a very large case. It made people wake up to the fact that collusion exists. But really, since then, there's been no cases of collusion to this magnitude. And the last is dilution. And we all know that these payable finance programs basically eliminate the issue of of large dilution from the standpoint that they're committing to pay at a specific period of time. And that commitment obviously enhances the undertaking. Doesn't mean that dilution goes away. And this is important to state because this goes back to the accounting question that was raised earlier and and which Stacey correctly answered. And that is a payable should remain as a payable, in our view, on the balance sheet of the buyer as a liability because it doesn't change the nature of that liability, meaning the buyer still has the ability to raise a dispute. But as it relates to the payment of that invoice, they basically are committed to making that payment, but they would basically exercise and discuss this issue of dispute with the seller and basically take that amount that is in disagreement, which hopefully has been agreed between the seller and supplier and the buyer, and it is applied to future invoices. But in our view, really eliminated to a great degree under these payable finance programs. Hence, it creates a healthy system. Why? Because you have a uh, significant due diligence on the buyer. You have a due diligence in essence, of the supplier. You have a verification on both sides that this is a legitimate trade transaction, and you have the assignment of the receivable. And that's all backed by what we call the real economy, underlying goods and services. These comments that some of the rating agencies and others have raised relating to systematic risk, in our view, is just the opposite 
If anything, these programs just do the opposite. They create basically stability because it's not just a loan where a loan could go bad. It's basically a program whereby the seller and the buyer are both involved and engaged and you have verification and authenticity and visibility of the product. Now, specifically to your question for the smaller seller, the SME, there is only upside benefit in our view. As I mentioned previously, we understand that the financing of the long tail has evolved. So we see more and more SMEs being included, incorporated under these supply chain programs, which is a good thing. And that will only help support the capital distribution under these programs to SMEs. For the buyer, of course, the risk is what we are seeing today in this COVID environment. We see an increase in the overall risk, a slight reduction in in capacity. But at the end of the day, FIs are looking at the strength of the companies in play. And yes, we saw in 0809 some changes, so, so some modifications to programs, but we also saw a huge takeoff and an increase of these programs because of the secured nature. So the financial institutions obviously look at this as a positive because they, again, what all the things I just mentioned, the ability to monitor risk, to have underlying transactions, to be able to have visibility and authenticity. So if anything, and it's why we've seen in receivables finance in general, but especially payables finance programs explode in popularity and growth and in volume. Thanks, Peter. And I guess for our audience, it's worth signposting Peter's uh, factoring predictions that he wrote for Trade Finance Global, I guess, as we move out of the pandemic and the what next for payables and also receivables. So to conclude, COVID-19 certainly calls for more credit lines to support those businesses that need it. Christian, what is Global Supply Chain Finance Forum doing to promote best practices in supply chain finance techniques during the current financial and health crisis that we're seeing? Well, COVID-19 certainly is an exceptional situation. Over the past month, we have seen that governments and banks across the world have undertaken everything to support the economy and prevent companies from going insolvent. Independently of the current COVID-19 crisis, the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum continuously advocates for the standard definitions that we published in 2016. As we believe these standards will help to sustainably foster the supply chain finance market. But the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum is not only promoting these standards, we have also been working on a series of additional guidance documents for the techniques included in the standard definitions. The first report on receivables discounting was published in June 2019, and the next guidance paper in the series will cover payables finance, and it's expected to be released later this year, latest in Q4. Additionally, the uh, BAFT Global Trade Industry Council will shortly release a payable finance principles document, another strong reference document in this respect. Stacey already talked about that. To conclude, the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum and its sponsoring industry associations strongly support economic growth through the use of supply chain finance techniques. This includes the standard definitions and additional guidance to any interested stakeholder how these techniques can be implemented and appropriately used by finance providers and their clients. Thank you very much. So Christian Hauser, Stacey Factor, Peter Mulroy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Trade Finance Talks today. More information on some of these standard definitions and techniques can be found on supplychainfinanceforum.org and also from the sponsoring organizations and associations, so BAFT, EBA, FCI, ICC, and ITVA. Thank you very much. Catch you soon. 
Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.